Welcome everyone again to the Money Mentors podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I co-host this program with Nathan Lear. We're both directors and private client advisors at Hewlson Private Wealth, which is one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Um, the objective of this podcast is to improve financial awareness and financial literacy. Um, this week, Nathan and I have a chat about a pretty hot topic at the moment. Um, it's the proposed change to the imputation credit system. Um, it, it's, it's probably had a fair bit of public debate. It's been in the media a fair bit. Um, so Nathan and I thought we'd give our take on firstly what it is and, and also work through um, our view on, on the proposed changes. Um, so we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode. So today, Glenn and I are going to have a discussion about the Labor government's dividend imputation scheme. has been quite topical recently with some proposed changes that the Labor government is looking to put in place should they uh, win through to power and get this policy through the Senate. Before we talk about their proposed changes, we just want to go back to the history of the dividend imputation scheme. Um, how it come about and so Glenn I'll throw to you to kind of talk us through the, the history of it. Yeah sure um, so the dividend, dividend imputation system as we I suppose partly know it now was actually originally a labour policy so it was introduced um, by the Hawke government back in 1987 um, to eliminate double taxation of company profits so essentially the way that it works is that if a company earns one dollar of profit assuming a company tax rate of 30%, um, there's 70 cents there available to distribute to their shareholders. Um, so as a shareholder receiving that dividend, you get a credit for the 30% tax that the companies have paid. So in very simplistic terms, under the original regime, if your tax rate was 30%, then you've already paid that 30% at the corporate level, so you get a full credit for that. Um, in 2001, there was a change to this system um, by the Howard government, um, which in, in their view was looking at improving um, the system overall. And, and what that enabled was individuals to receive a tax re refund um, to compensate them for overpayment of tax at a, at a company level. So for example, for example, under the original um, scenario that I, that I was just talking about, if your tax rate was 30%, given that companies have already paid tax at 30% on their profits, effectively your tax rate was zero. Under the um, Howard government changes, if your tax rate was lower than the company tax rate, so if you were in a 0% tax environment, um, the change that was brought in was you would actually get a refund of that, what they call excess imputation credit. So imputation credit very simplistically means tax that's already been paid at the corporate level. Um, so it has been in operation for over 30 years, but it has had a few changes. And the major change, as I was saying, was back in 2001, um, which provided a refund of excess imputation credits. And this is the issue that they're supposed up for discussion at the moment and what the Labor governments or the, or the Labor Party is looking at potentially changing so that individuals won't receive a refund for those excess imputation credits. So if you're, just to kind of summarize that quickly, if you're uh, on a tax bracket that's lower than 30%, which a superannuation fund, for example, self-managed super fund or another superannuation fund paying either 15% or 0% yeah. tax, they're due, they have been getting good refunds. That's where the refunds come into play. So effectively, when, when your tax rate 
is lower than the company tax rate is when you get a refund. If your tax rate's higher, um, like for example, if you were on, on the 47% tax rate, then simplistically you're just paying the top-up tax. So yep. the 17% tax above the, above the corporate level. Yeah. So it's, it's really this change, which as I was saying, has been proposed um, and, and we'll go through some of the exemptions and things, but keeping it very simple. The change is that once your tax goes down to zero, that you don't receive the refund. Mm. Um, so if your tax rate's higher than the company rate, you don't lose the benefit of that imputation credit. Yep. The people who will be impacted are only those who, whose tax rates are below um, the company tax rate. Sure. And look, this, this policy, just talking about the policy that has been, um, you know, we've spoken about before being the, it has been the envy of a lot of other countries. It is an attractive um, system. Um, do you think it's benefited the, the Australian economy? Um, well, I, I suppose it, it puts more dollars in, in investors' pockets, which arguably if, if they're spending that money that it benefits the economy. But I, I think what it does do, from my perspective, it creates an equal playing field because the example that I've been using with clients is that if you own a property, and let's just say, for example, you generate $1 of rent, so you have the tenant paying you $1 of rent, you get if your tax rate is zero, you get the full benefit of that dollar because there's no tax withheld from that dollar of rent before you receive it. Um, the tax that you pay on that dollar is done when you do your tax return. So if your tax rate's zero, you'll pay no tax. If your tax rate's 47%, then you'll pay 47% on that $1 of rent. So there's no tax withheld from that rent before you as a landlord receive it. Whereas with dividends or with company shares that you're investing in, for every dollar that, of profit that that company makes, before you have any opportunity to get your hands on it, the government's already taking 30%, 30%. out. So, And that's why the imputation credit was introduced, almost to, to provide an equal playing field. So if you're comparing property with shares under these proposals, then if your tax rate is lower than 30%, then you, you, you're in some ways behind um, by investing in shares with this dividend lack of a dividend um, refund of credits. A good example I've heard is if you're a, an investor um, in, in a company share and you receive, um, let's just say that company pays a $100 uh, dividend to you, oh sorry, declares profit of $100, so that they pay tax at 30%, so there's um, $70 which is to be distributed to the investor. So investor gets um, uh, $70, um, that investor happens to be on the top marginal rate of tax, so that $70 um, is taxed in their hands, roughly half of it, yeah. so say $35. So a $100 dividend or $100, sorry, $100 profit to that company in the investor's hand is down to $35. Yeah, exactly. So they've paid, in that example, 65% tax. It doesn't make it a very attractive proposition anymore to that investor, does no, it? No, and, and that's I'll be why... i elsewhere. That's right. And that's why the dividend imputation system was introduced back in 1987 to remove the double taxation. But there's also a lot. You wonder about, um, you know, the, the 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 attractiveness of of those companies that are because the only reason you can get an imputation credit from a company share is when the company's actually paid profits or yeah. sorry, actually paid tax on their profits. There's a lot of companies on on the stock exchange that still pay dividends but aren't profitable or don't have a taxable income. So, for example, infrastructure funds because they have or infrastructure investments because they have large deductions mm. and property, um, property trusts, property trusts mm. um, companies that aren't paying tax at the corporate level when they make distributions they're not fully frank because they haven't paid tax mm. so those ones uh, I suppose those dividends are taxed fully in the hands of the shareholders so 
you know, is it going to provide a situation where companies want more write downs, have more deductions, more depreciation, um, so the dividends that they're paying out to their shareholders become more attractive? Because if if you're an investor looking for a return, you you want the greatest return possible, not a situation where your potential dividends are being eroded by tax. Mm. Yeah, well, I, Glenn, I asked you the question before. You know, ha- has this policy been beneficial? for the Australian economy. And look, I mean, you look back over the past 26 years where we haven't had a recession. Uh, I'm not going to say it's just because of the dividend imputation system, but you could quite, you know, it's quite arguably it's been a number of things that have helped the Australian economy significantly over the past, you know, 20 odd years. Um, the other point I was, I was going to make, um, it, it doesn't, I think it doesn't, in, it discourages companies to gear up um, they're more inclined to pay out their profits. Um, so in Australia is well known as being a high dividend paying country where if they didn't have that incentive, um, companies like over in the US, for example, they'd probably be more inclined to um, you know, reinvest that money back into the company or even you know, take on more borrowings or you know, so, more acquisitions. Yeah, so maybe or, the, the companies, if, if we don't have this dividend imputation system where shareholders aren't demand... Because at the moment, shareholders... I suppose they don't demand dividends, but as you were saying, historically Australia's become more of a dividend-paying type share market. Where you know most of our companies are quite good at paying dividends, and we've become used to that as shareholders. So, what is what you're saying basically that if we don't have this system, there could be an incentive for perhaps these organisations to take higher risks, so they're not generating as much much profits. Spot on, yeah. Taxable and, profits. And look at the proofs in the pudding. Look, our the the dividend rate. On the, I think the ASX 200 is about 4.4% excluding the franking. So, and the US, I think, is 1.8%. So, we're, we're more than half. So, for whatever reason, um, Australian companies have decided to pay more than double what the US pays. Yeah. So, it's gonna, it, it could be a fundamental shift to how companies pay, pay dividends going forward. And when you look at who's impacted most, th- these are the discussions, I suppose, that are going on at the moment and everyone's got their different... Um, research and different opinions but the only people that this affects or the only entities that this affects in removing the refund of those excess imputation credits are those on lower tax rates so whether it's superannuation funds at a zero percent tax rate or 15 percent tax rate Mm -hmm. or low income um, individuals who are paying less than the corporate tax rate Mm. Um, and and that, that that probably is a good segue just to look at what are the, the um, exemptions? So we're just talking about the, the original labor proposal, which was to remove um, the refund of imputation credits, but they, they did come out sometime after that announcing that uh, like a pension and guarantee, um, which exempts people who are receiving the age pension and other welfare payment from the changes. So if you're a part pensioner, um, you'll still get the full refund of imputation credits. Mm. Um, and, and even... So whether it's you as an individual or within your superannuation fund, if you're operating a self-managed superannuation fund and one of the members of that fund is a part pensioner, the fund will still get the benefit of that excess imputation credit. Um, But therein lies the issue is that what about people who seem to miss out, those ones who perhaps miss out on the age pension? Mm. Um, Like they might have $800,000 in super as a couple my question always is, and my concern is, are they worse off having more money as a result of this change? And and what what does that then do to their sort of um, 
their, their mindset going forward? Are they incentivized to say, well, I'm better off spending $100,000, $200,000 upgrading my home, which is then an exempt asset, so I get the part pension. So not only do I get the pension, but I also get back my refund of imputation credits. That's sort of the group that, in my view, tends to get hit the most with these changes. Yeah, look, my, probably my biggest concern with this policy is the the unintended consequences and the, some of the people that's going to impact. And, and I mean, yes, you know, the government does all their modelling, but um, just to work through or expand on your example there, Glenn, I think the, the retirees of, you know, they have a little bit of wealth, but they just miss out on the pension. So yeah. more modest means. So let's yeah, so say... like $800,000 or... They might have, yeah, as you said, an, a super fund with $800,000 have a, you know, a modest valued home. They're not, not millionaires or anything like that. They just miss out on a pension. So the cutoff is, I think, about um, when you, that's in, in your financial assets when you lose the pension. So they've just got over that with, you know, their super fund, their, their car, some cash in the some bank. contents and so, so forth. So now they're in a position where they've got their super, their $800,000 invested. That's paying them, you know, 5% five, 5 income, whatever it might be. So $40,000 plus they get a nice little refund of... I don't know, five. They're probably getting dollars. It's a balanced portfolio from in our experience, probably getting what, as you said, four or five thousand dollars as a refund. Let's call it five thousand. So so they're you know, they're living off they're, they're doing the right thing, they're self sufficient, they're not relying on the government, they get they generate their forty thousand dollars plus franking credits of five thousand odd they're living off that. They they need that. Mm. I mean forty five thousand dollars maybe isn't I'm not saying it's on the poverty line, but they're not they're not flying business class on yeah, every holiday. Yeah, it's a modest year. sort of lifestyle. Yeah, okay. So that $5,000 now is gone. Under this new policy, it's gone. So the issue that I see is that now this couple is going to have an incentive to lower their assets, go back on government support, which mm. is not what they want people doing. That's the issue yeah. I see. As I said, they're better off pulling out 50000 from their super fund. Put in their home. Hypothetic- this is all hypothetical. Yeah. They're not suggesting you no, do no, this, but no. they could potentially be better off Withdrawing fifty thousand dollars, upgrading their Doing kitchen and their bathroom, yep. which reduces their accessible assets. So even if they get two dollars of pension, it's not about the pension; it's about the additional benefits. But now it could be getting back their refund of imputation credits, which is four or five thousand dollars a year. So mm. is is this the motivation behind it? This is my issue around all this because a lot of the discussion has been that it's only going to target the wealthy, but that. In my, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm missing something, but for me, that seems blatantly wrong because the, the ultra-wealthy are paying tax. They so still get you, the use of the refund. They, they're still getting the use of the imputation Or, or the offset, sorry. That's yeah, right. The so if you're ultra-wealthy and, and you, you know your tax rate's 47%, then you're not losing anything with this change. You take the 30% offset. That's right. And you, you're no worse off. So extreme ultra-wealthy people are, are not impacted. It's more... It's people on the border, as I said as well, it's more people on the borderline that are impacted. Yeah, and also um, we, we can't forget that those with significant amounts in superannuation, they were already impacted by the change in tax-free income within superannuation last year. The $1.6 million. The $1.6 million. So in the past, I mean, we had clients, you know, some of the refunds were in the tens of thousands of dollars because... It didn't matter how much money you had in superannuation. You're paying 0% tax. You're paying 0% tax. Yeah. So you got the full benefit of that refund. Well, thanks to the $1.6 million um, transition balance cap, anybody with more than $1.6 million um, will, will, you know, the amount above $1.6 million is taxed at 15% anyway. So they're going to still get the benefit of those imputation credits. So they could soak up that, that offset. That's right. And then maybe not see a refund. 
Exactly. So there could be so, no change that for a multi multi million dollar fund. There could potentially be no no change. Well, basically no, because mm. they're all, they're going to start people who have got more than one point six million dollars each in super. They're already paying fifteen percent tax, so they're going to be able to use the imputation credit to reduce that down to zero. Um, so they might miss out on a partial refund, um, depending on how much more they've got above the um, the one point six. But it's the people who have got less than one point six who at the moment, as we were saying, perhaps don't have the pension um, and are getting the full refund that are going to almost get hit with a double whammy and that they miss out on the refund and they don't get the pension. So has this policy been... My understanding is that it's been sold as a policy that's going to... Target the rich, basically. Yeah, be fairer for the Australian battler, target the rich people um, and help the people of more modest assets. Well it, well, it doesn't impact people who are on the age pension. Like, from what from what we've been told, the proposal yep. doesn't impact those people. So, if you if you're looking at you know low income earners and the like, I don't think it impacts. From what I can see, you know, with the exemptions for people who are on the age pension, okay, they're not going to get impacted. But the they're next, still the next get, tier, though, it's the people that you know we continue to get told about self funding retirement, taking the burden off the age pension, and you know. Look, a lot of people might be listening and thinking, oh, eight hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, nine hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. But you know, that that only provides you with a fairly modest lifestyle. I mean, if you're just living off the income and you want to try and preserve your capital, as you were saying, forty or fifty thousand dollars a year isn't a substantial amount of money and it's only marginally above what the age maximum age pension is. So thirty low thirties. So if you're getting low thirties versus someone who's got eight hundred that maybe mm. is drawing forty odd thousand a year, like What's the difference? It's uh, yeah, forty thousand dollars a year, not not being a burden on the social security system right. in Australia, versus somebody that gets thirty that has um, you know very small amount of assets and receiving thirty two thousand dollars a year from the, the from the government. Yeah, and the, and the issue is that for someone with that amount of money, and we'll focus on that amount of money, the eight hundred thousand, because in our view, I think we both agree that they're the ones that are hit the hardest because they just miss out on the pension and they. They're just going to miss out on the the exemption for this. Um, all that's going to happen is if they if they want to maintain that modest lifestyle, which you know research says maybe forty to fifty thousand dollars a year in modest lifestyle. All that's going to happen is if they, if they miss out on the refund, they're just going to start drawing down on capital and then go on a pension, and eventually going to go on the pension. So, so is that un- in unintended the, consequence? Yeah, is that in everyone's best interests? Well, I don't think so, and, and it worries me that what what you know research analysis has been done, or is this. Is this just a cash grab to just try and grab some, 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 you know, or stop paying the refund of imputation credits? So stop paying out some money. Is it just a short-term cash grab without thinking about the longer-term implications? I think that's probably the issue with uh, lots of governments, and this just isn't the Labor government. You know, it's it's, it's this isn't a Labor bashing thing. This is just policy in in general. But um, the the suggestion is that this the abolition of the refund could raise between five and six billion dollars a year. Um, but what's it costing? <laughs> what I'd ask one, is, what's it going to cost them yeah, going forward? Like once again, yes, it could save you five to six billion dollars a year now. But what's it going to cost you in future? It seems to be very short-sighted. And this isn't this isn't um, taking something away from. I mean, this is taking something away from people. But the fact is, with the as I said very early on, with the example I was using, tax has already been paid on the profits. There's already thirty percent tax that's been paid out. So if your tax rate zero, then you deserve that. 30% back. Well, that's why the policy was brought in and that's why the policy is, as I said earlier, one of the, the envy of many other countries around the world because it's fair. You don't get paid, you don't get charged tax twice. Nobody wants, and you know, like you had that example with the property 
um, investment versus investing in shares. Investing in shares, this stops you from being taxed twice. So, yeah, we, we think that it's a fair policy as it, as it currently stands. And I, I suppose, look, I know that this, this was very early in, in, in the piece and, and I think um, the leader of the opposition, Bill Shorten, said that maybe people should go out and buy investment properties. I don't know whether that's prudent either and that's probably the other unintended consequences is that will this result in people selling down on shares? I mean, mm. it's very hard. I mean, clients are asking this now and I've had a few dis- few discussions about it as you said, you know, in the intro, it's it's looking likely that, you know, with all the polls and polls are only polls, I suppose that they're not the best indicator. But um, if this does become policy, it's yeah, it's going to impact a lot of people. So is now the the market's a little bit shaky. We've had a bit of volatility. I mean, we're in one of our last podcasts. We spoke about you know long term investors. We're not that worried about short term corrections, uh, generally speaking, in the share market, but. I mean, arguably, this policy could be coming in at a time where there's a bit of volatility in the market, a little bit of uncertainty. People are a bit, you know, cautious. The U.S. market coming off a off a bull market. A correction could be, as we've spoken many times, we don't know when a correction's coming, but it could be around the corner. There could be a sizable correction. So, is bringing in a policy like this now, which could see money flowing out of shares because people's income is going to go down thirty odd percent on some shares. Um, people's returns are going to go down some 30% on some with, with losing this refund. Is now a good time to put in this policy? I'll ask you the question, Glenn, and, and as I get you to think about how you might answer that, it does remind me a little bit of, you might re- recall the um, mining resources rent tax where a policy was put in place to start taxing um, mining companies or their profit of mining like companies. Super taxes and... Well, Super yeah, profits or at possibly the yeah. worst time of the cycle when there was mm. just they were just the the mining boom was over pretty much. It was yeah. it was it was right at the end, and they brought in this policy. So is now a good time to put in a policy which is potentially going to rock the share market a little bit? I guess that's a question I'll pose yeah. to you. Look, I, I depend. I think it depends. We don't know what the impact is going to be, but just looking at if you look at the big four banks, um, which make up just over twenty percent of the ASX or ordinaries. Um, retail investors comprise 43 to 53% of the share registries by value. So there's a lot of retail investors that own bank shares, which do pay fully frank dividends. But without having the statistics, um, if you look at, I suppose, the main investors in the share market, probably is institutional investors and maybe high net worth individuals. Um, so as, the, as to the impact of something like this, Maybe it isn't that substantial. To be honest, I don't know. Um, all you can look at is perhaps who who are the main drivers of the market, which arguably it's not mum and dad investors. It, it, it mainly is big pension funds, um, institutional type investors whose tax rates will be above 15%, arguably. So I, I just don't know the impact, but I think you're right in that it doesn't provide um, a lot of confidence for people. Um, we're, we're ex- I feel like we're exper- like we're on the front line, so to speak, with yeah, clients ringing definitely. us up. I feel like there will be somewhat of a bit of a, an exodus in some fully frank um, dividend-paying shares. Well, you might have to. I mean, you know, if, if we're looking at client portfolios now and we want to generate as much income as we can, um, if you're looking at at the moment, what, what's a bank share paying eight nine percent fully franked? If you're in a pension fund, that eight to nine percent fully frank could go down to five percent. So you are losing out on that income. So if if you're looking at a, a portfolio and you're saying, well, I need to generate more income, 
then maybe you don't hold those bank shares anymore. Maybe you invest in property or some other, maybe it's another listed investment that generates higher income. So maybe you're right in those examples where your tax rate is lower. Maybe you're not inclined to invest in those fully frank shares anymore because you're not going to get the benefit of that 30% franking credit. One of my, um, I guess, the thing I take objection to a bit with this policy is that it, I think it does in a way discourage um, people to go and invest in shares. Okay, so it's what, what, how, how do you create wealth by, by investing? So you've got you know, a policy where it's going to make it less attractive to in, invest in shares. That's a vehicle where people can create wealth. And I don't want to kind of talk too much politics, but then you bring in the proposed changes to, um, to negative gearing, which you know, have been talked about, which could reduce the incentives of investing in, in property as well. And then also capital gains, that's being talked about as well. So th- there's these policies out there that are removing incentives for people to invest. Now, and self-fund, I suppose. And self-fund. And how do you create wealth over a long period of time? By investing. If you invest in whether it's a property, get a get a head start by a negative gearing benefit. Because remember, if you're getting a benefit from negative gearing, you're probably not high net worth. Because you've got debt there, yeah. which and you're using the offsets. That's right. So there's all these so you know, Labor talk about removing the gap between you know, rich and poor. It's gonna be harder for people that don't have wealth to catch up with some of these policies. So that's probably the one thing that I'm struggling with a little bit. I, I just don't know if it's It's moving good the goalposts as well though, isn't it? I mean, people who have planned for their retirement, you know, planned ahead, looking at how much they need to accumulate to, to self-fund. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, 20 times, you know, you think about how much you need to live on and then multiply that by 20 times. And that, that asset base, assuming that it's generating 5% in income, should enable you to maintain a lifestyle that you want to live um, without drawing down on your capital. Now, that's based on imputation credits because if you're looking at, at your super fund, like let's just say, for example, you've got a self-managed fund that you've been contributing to and building over the years. Um, when you look at that fund and you look at the income being generated and, and therefore the ability for you to maintain your income need in retirement, that income at the moment includes the imputation credits. So now we're changing we're changing the goal. We're moving the goalposts, aren't we? So yeah. that, that's that's like one of my biggest issues that we just continue to change and batter people who are, who are self-funding and taking the burden off the public system. Mm. That's my biggest issue with all this. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to plan into the future. So, so much is changing. Glenn, I might I might um, just change tune a little bit. There has been a bit of talk about how in the big industry funds are impacted by this change do you want to do you want to spend a couple of minutes going through yeah what people I mean, are talking a, about there a few of the discussions have been that because in an industry fund that they're a pooled fund so you've got hundreds of thousands of members you may have some members in the accumulation environment where their earnings are being taxed at 15 percent, and you may have some members in the pension environment where they're being taxed at zero percent so the argument against that sort of arrangement is that industry funds or big public offer funds won't lose out too much from this proposal is that the refunds that would otherwise have gone to the pension accounts um, can now be diverted to the accumulation account. So they can sort of share the, share the, um, the tax credits, whereas in a self-managed fund, um, you can't because if everyone's in pension phase, then you're complete, there's no one that you can use to offset um, 
there's no one that you can use to, to make benefit of the um, excess imputation credit. So whether they're ben- benefited from it or not, um, I think the pensioners under that example are not, but those in accumulation accounts in industry funds may benefit because those excess imputation credits can be used by them to minimize their tax. So that, that's yep. just been one discussion point that's, that's been made through all this. Yep, yep. Yeah, look, I think yeah, you answered that pretty well and uh, I think yeah, they're probably not going to see much uh, as much of an impact. It's more the it's more the um, you know, the people with either self-managed super funds or or um, even kind of more retail type accounts where they're yeah. not that pooled environment. Well, the SMSF association said that 600,000 SMSFs and 1.1 million members will be affected by the proposed change. So we're talking significant numbers of people here. Mm. And I suppose it's not just superannuation funds that no, are impacted. No, it's not. It's, I've got a couple of clients that are just uh, non-superannuation investors. Yeah, they might have a share portfolio outside mm. of super in their own names. They might be missing out on the pension. Mm. Maybe haven't been able to get it into super. They're the ones that are going to be impacted. Are there any other um, things you want to talk about in terms of this policy, Glenn? Oh, look, I suppose people are probably asking after hearing all this, what do they do about it? And it's a real tough one, isn't it? Because yeah. although the, the polls are suggesting that Labor's likely to win the election. You just never know. I mean, I was really doing, you know, my research for this. You know, I was reading about the uh, polls for the US election and Donald Trump had a 30% chance of getting in and he got in. So anything's possible. And I suppose one thing that we've um, been talking to clients about is that there's multiple layers to get through before this policy um, becomes law. Like obviously Labor has to get into government first. They've got to get um, this through parliament and so forth they've got to have weight of numbers so it could still be a while away so and there could be further changes as well that, that's right so glenn what, what's our advice let's say you are one of those people out there that are gonna gonna feel the impacts of it you you, you don't receive a, a a centrelink age pension and you might have eight hundred thousand dollars to a million odd and you, know, you do rely on your income you're not high net worth is there any advice that we, we could offer to those people? Like, could they reposition their portfolio or just have a bit of a plan? I'd be or? a bit reluctant right now to reposition it because we just don't know. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Mm. I mean, what do, what do you think? I don't yeah, once again, it's a tough one. I think, firstly, have an awareness of the impact yeah, on your portfolio. Yeah, so, yeah. have yeah, have an awareness of what it might do to your cash flow. Because you don't... I, I think if it gets in... You don't want to be scrambling. If this policy gets in and your income no. goes down by, um, I don't know, five, yeah, like we've said a On few average, times, five, $5,000 $5, a year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, $100 a week, you know, your income's going down by. Like that, that could, you could rely on that $100 a week. So can you replicate the income before the changes? Um, that might be easier said than done, but have a think about. So, firstly, what's the impact then? If it does get through, what? might you be able to do to your portfolio i think you, you as we always talk about on the podcast this this is where a diversified portfolio is always important because if you've got a hundred percent invested in fully frank shares in, in your retirement plan that's probably not a great strategy anyway mm. um but that's where you're always exposed whether it's market risk but as we're seeing now you, you're possibly going to be exposed to political risk and i think it just further um you know magnifies the need to have a very diversified portfolio because there can be a number of things that are out of your control that can impact your outcomes. 
All right, Glenn. Well, I think now's a, a good time to, to wrap up. So I think it was a yeah, good discussion today just talking about um, the Labor government's proposed changes to the dividend imputation scheme and some of the potential impacts it could have on investors and, and markets. So uh, thank, thanks once again for listening and we look forward to having you next week. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.